Jessica, Hodentel, Illinois, Chicago, Kazan Ben and Kim Chin Mo, Kununiza Chin. The Fleet Club. I'm Corri, and he's Henrik, your hosts of tonight. In this, what, what, what essentially is a karaoke podcast? <laughs> well, this is the way that you run a film podcast. Uh, you <laughs> constantly update it. But but judging by the, that opening, I'm guessing that we are looking at an Asian cinema once again. There's a high probability once again. This is a film that my flatmate thought was called Paras Äiti. And uh, of course he misheard me saying Parasite, Paras Äiti being in Finnish language the best mom. Not exactly. Well, close enough. Besides, yeah. Parasite itself has the best mom. Oh, well. It works on so many levels. Oh boy, there's so many levels here tonight with us. Let's see <laughs> if we can pull this through. <laughs> I knew this would be a kind of a cluster fuckero, but it's even worse than that. Well, once again, you are, you are the one who pushed the film on us, on the grounds of it being topical at the moment. And who could argue against it? This is the this is the best film Oscar winner in the Academy Awards this year, and also nominated for countless others, also in other galas. For 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 the great dismay of of Americans. Absolutely. Uh, pardon the term, but I love the butthurt that is happening around the United States now. Yeah, like I that that was the first thing that that I came across when I started to actually research the movie was was all all, all the YouTube whining and moaning about how unfair and and how racist and how how woke how wrong it is that woke Hollywood gave the best picture to a Korean film. There's different kinds of looking glasses into this. Do you do you consider the Oscars to be something that is a multinational, international event, or do you consider it as being kind of a national insider event that is just raised on a pedestal that everybody is looking into? Yeah, I I I, I myself largely see Oscars as mostly pointless. <laughs> That's another looking glass, <laughs> <laughs> like. Oscars, of course, have lost a lot of views lately, and uh, the latest one with the Parasite winning Oscar nominations and uh, prizes, uh, winning the Oscar prizes, this is the least watched Oscar show, apparently, of the entire run of Oscars. So something is going on. Of course, the Academy has been desperately trying to change the gala to be make it more appealing, like make it a little bit shorter in length and to introduce different kinds of uh, winning categories. And also, kind of surprisingly, they they have also made it so that it is going to be more international in the ways that there are more people having the voting ability from outside of the United States. So that that is the reason why Parasite actually won the Oscars. 
Well, that doesn't doesn't surprise me at all that the American Academy members did not vote for, for Parasite. Yeah, overhyped or not, let's find out in this podcast. So what exactly happened? Where, where, what is Parasite? Where is this coming from? As, I've, as far as I see it, of course, we have the director Bong Joon-ho, who has gathered international fame with, for example, his film Snowpiercer. And he's also known for his uh, 2003 film Memories of Murder. And this is also that slowly started to gain interest around the world and then eventually got screenings. And uh, this director is something that has just started to bubble and bubble and bubble further and further. And apparently with Parasite has completely exploded around the world. Everybody is crazy about this film. Yeah, or, or, or at, at least Yanks find out that the director exists. Basically, the entire rest of the world has been following di- the director ever since Memories of Murder. Right. Well, hey, it's good. Welcome on board, United States. So <laughs> yeah, have... yeah. N- n- now that you are on, on board, you can actually leave the boat. <laughs> Exit to the left, U.S. <laughs> wow, this is a strong rhetoric. It's gonna be interesting in the edit room. I must like, like I, 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 I'm, I'm well aware that the the kind of a counter reaction against Parasite in in U.S. it's it's a very vocal minority of people, and in no way is it a repre- is is the reaction a repre- representation of the entire nation mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but but fuck it every other social group like ever has always been also judged and condemned by uh, according to the to the vocal minority representation this goes to the feminists and the gays and and every other other nationality and film podcasters and god knows what <laughs> so you know in in all fairness i'm also giving the same treatment to to america and and just limping it together to say that Murica doesn't like Parasite. Well said. Um, it's still kind of interesting how this uh, came into the light, this film, in such of a way that it finally did. But uh, considering also the fact that it was not thought that Parasite would become like a global phenomenon of any kind. It was very much thought of as like a Korean audience in mind, home audience in mind. But then it just turned out that, oh, well, we have themes that kind of connect us all and there is nothing in Parasite that it would be so hard to understand outside of Korea. So everybody has been praising it lately. I don't know about that. I, I would once again kind of limping with, with America, like like seeing that that, that that is a case in, in US and not the case with the rest of the world. Because like, like mentioned Basically, every other country except U.S. has been following Bong Joon-ho for quite some time now. And have, basically, the, the, the overlying theme of Parasite, the, the class in inequality and, and the effects of poverty, they are something that actually has been in Bong's films since, since, his, since his cinematic debut. There haven't been many times that we have been looking into something that is very topical, to be exact. Of course, we have like honored some series and some films when they have had their anniversaries, but this is uh, still a very new film. This film was first available in theaters in a very short run about three or four months ago. 
And I, I was lucky enough to go into those only showings at the time in Poland. I believe it was just run once in the biggest cinema. Now, three or four months later, it's starting to get more showings. Now it's, of course, having a regular running in theaters and have been seeing it now twice in the theater. Unfortunately, of course, with uh, only Polish Polish subtitles, but I, I took the risk. I was so adamant to see the new film from Bong Chong-ho that I went to see it. And fortunately, this is also the kind of film that you don't need to understand that much about the dialogue because the visual storytelling is so kind of obvious. Yeah, that the, the strong visual storytelling is something that is kind of a ho- hallmark to Jun Ho Pong's style in, in all of his films that I've seen. Like they they all, you, all used very strong visual storytelling. That is absolutely true. So Bong Chung-ho is also called Bong Tail in his own country. That is a combination of Bong and Detail. He's a director who truly pays attention to small details and... The amount of details is something that sets Parasite as well, kind of apart from the competition this year. Not to say that there aren't great other films this year, but this is one of the reasons. Yeah, like Joker. (laughs) Are we having a Joker fan here? I don't know. I I haven't seen it. Uh, But I I know that basically the whole whole schism around Parasite is is basically a divination between Parasite and, and Joker. And which one should have been the best picture of the year? Well, if you ask me, there is no competition, really. Of course, there's things to like about both movies. Uh, just didn't find Joker very... like Not shaking the grounds, not putting any, anything particularly new on the table. See, that that's the kind of a re- a response to the film that actually is going, going to earn us some dre- honest-to-God death threats. Because that has been so, so a running theme with, with Joker fans. Harassing and, and threatening every, basically everyone who doesn't like the film. Because that's what you do when you are functional grown adult. <laughs> okay. Well, to reduce the smacking level in this podcast, I did like the visual style of the film. But ultimately, uh, we should probably cover it and, and uh, have our verdict heard around the world. I don't know. Like like I said, I haven't seen the film. I mostly haven't haven't paid that close eye to the to the this year's best picture nominees altogether because I really don't care about Oscars that much. I haven't watched the watched the ceremony in something like I, I I guess four or five years now. That I understand. There has been though quite a lot of great films on that list. Uh, which we can discuss about in some other episode. But yeah, so director of Snowpiercer Memories of Murder, the host, and Okja. He has a great quote from the Parasite interviews where he said, quote, Actually, I'm not a control freak, but I control everything. End quote. Okay, let's just uh, delve into the scene by scene, unless you have uh, any other priorities at the moment. Nope. Hmm. So the film starts with the typical company logos and stuff. But during this, you also hear the bells in the very beginning. It's perfectionist director's way of testing the speakers of a theater. Yeah, so that's the kind of way that we're going to start the film. Bong tail indeed. From there, we get to the semi-basement level apartment. 
and the character introductions are given to you with rapid fire speed, which is great. It's done really well. It starts with the looking for the free Wi-Fi signal, which they're having trouble with. This flat and the block surrounding it, they were both built from scratch. So they're actually a studio lot. As as also was the main house where, where the majority of the film actually takes place. Absolutely. And that's that's one of the interesting aspects when it comes to to the kind of the, the building blocks that the film has. It, mostly it just uses two locations, the two houses that the two families live in. And in that sense, the film is very economical storytelling and economical filmmaking. I kind of paid attention to the same fact in Snowpiercer, for example. Like basically, it's just happening all indoors in similar space. Outside of that, you basically just have a CGI. So I think this is also a very economical film. Yeah, Snowpiercer, however, even though it it happens in 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 one space, the train, the titular Snowpiercer. Uh, when when you contrast Snowpiercer to to Parasite, Snowpiercer has still more different types of spaces as it has the different train cards which kind of sure. change and differentiate from one another and become more kind of extravagant uh, the further to the, to the top of the train the heroes get yeah maybe it could be said that the kind of a, this political th- this exact style of storytelling that we see in parasite it just may have started in Snowpiercer, in this exact structure, because I think essentially these movies are the same in what they're telling. Maybe apart from the very ending, where it's a little bit different resolution, whereas actually Parasite doesn't really have much of a resolution. But you you mean you mean story-wise or, or thematically, or do you mean in the sense that it takes place in very limited space? I mean thematically. They are very similar. What what they're trying to convey to the audience? Yeah, they are. But I wouldn't say that that started with Snowpiercer. To me, okay. that's kind of been the running theme of of Bong Joon Ho's films, but basically ever since his debut. But poverty and and the difference between social classes—that's something that that Bong has dealt with in in all of his movies. In in some capacity or or the another, there is from from his films the memories doesn't outright deal with poverty and the effects of poverty, but yeah. it it takes place in if I remember correctly was it a mining town or in the industrial town some kind of industrial town yeah yeah but there, there was I, I don't remember if there was a factory or a mine that was the only employer. In, in that town, but still, basically, eh, the people and, and the town itself in memories, that was very low income. It, the, the people were very, very scruffy, kind of dirty. Not that that particularly rich when, when it came to wealth. And kind of the outside detective that came from, from the big city to help the, the small town detectives, he was, he was kind of a, maybe financially better off. Judging by his clothing and and his mannerisms, then again, his later films following memories, host mother, 
Oakja, they they all directly dealt with the with the concept of poverty and the concept of difference between social classes. Memories of Murder though doesn't have this stark contrast between the opposite ends of social classes. It's more about how nobody in the story is basically the protagonist or antagonist per se. It's all very mixed up and you can have your own interpretation of what is the, you know, the resolution, who was the good guy or the bad guy, which you don't really get, as I said. Yeah, it, it doesn't have it super obviously, but the, there is, is kind of a, it's, there, there is a hint, hint of the, of that theme still going on kind of like the under the current of the film. Because the, the mm. crimes that happened are basically perpetrated by a member of a lower class to other members of a lower class. And there is kind of this disconnect between the two two members of the same same social class, the perpetrator and the victim. And later on in the film, once once the big town the big city detective takes part in the investigation, at that point that detective starts to lead the investigation. He's the one that comes comes up with basically the new techniques and that really starts to advance the investigation and how the investigation takes shape. And in in kind of a, in that sense, you still has to have that that social class element even in memories. You you have the the lower oh. class small town cops who can't in the end figure out or, or get the murder investigation properly started and then you have the big city detective who comes to the small town who joins the small town detectives and he is the one who actually can can make a proper headway on on the case but this modern day interpretation of bongs in his later movies let's say now after snowpiercer well, because, like I said, Snowpiercer and Parasite are so similar in structure, I would even say that Bong had, like, the biggest inspiration for this structure from the writers of the book that the Snowpiercer is based on, and now is carrying on into his later work. I I don't know, I don't know, because I kind of see that the, the, the same structure, even, in, in his earlier films... Like, like basically, basically, when it comes to the disconnect between social classes and and this kind of a clash that the that the classes have, which is in in heart of Snowpiercer, the poor raising against the rich, that's one of the main themes in in the host, where the heroes are are survivors of a poor social class, mm. and and then there is the the higher ups, the government. And basically, there is a conflict between them and and the conflict between the citizens and the government. And once again, the heroes kind of rise up from from the from the lower class. Okay, I have to admit that I have not seen the host yet, unfortunately. I I, I do recommend it, but well, like I basically recommend everything from from Pong's filmography. And and st- sticking with with the whole whole class divide theme, it also plays great part in in Mother, which is his basically the the two thousand nine crime thriller that he did just before Snowpiercer. I've also heard that that plays 
the, the same topics are appear in Oakja and the parking dogs never bite. Those two being the films from Pong's filmography I haven't seen, so I can't vouch for that. But otherwise, I, I would say that, that poverty and, and, the, and the class divide is kind of the running theme in all of his movies. What kind of separates the movies from each other is, is the way how the members of, of the said social class kind of cooperate. Or doesn't cooperate. That's that's kind of a being one of the major differences. For example, between Snowpiercer and Parasite, or or the Host and Parasite, because Snowpiercer and the Host, for example, they are examples of of class solid solidarity, where where the members of, of the poor class or the lower social class they come together and they. They form a unified front that starts to oppose whoever is is the villain of the story. In, in Snowpiercer, it's it's the rich elite, and in the host, it's the weird sea monster. And that's something that actually is completely lacking in in Parasite. That cl- class solidarity and class unification in in Parasite, the whole second half of the film happens. Purely because the poor members of the film, they lack class solidarity. And because of that, they can't unify their front. And that's, I would say, that's, when it comes to Parasite, that's the great tragedy of Parasite's story. The fact that if the, if the poor would have banded together, they would have all actually been able to at least somehow find a way to, to thrive from the Park family's wealth. But because they, they, lack that solidarity because they can't come together, they just end up in this this conflict that just ends up badly for basically everyone involved. This is uh this is a very good point. I had not actually even thought about it myself, but that that's that's yet again one way to look at this film. And the this sounds like a very valid ap- approach. Probably what the director of course intended here. But yeah, there's we can come back to these subjects all the time during this episode, so as we usually do in the, in this podcast, we tend to we tend to sail from one topic to the other and then come like a full circle and uh, then do another circle of the same stuff. Yeah, we are we are as as rambling as as Joaquin Phoenix in his Oscar speech, or as repetitive as Joaquin Phoenix as Joker when he's laughing endlessly. I think it's like one third of the film just the guy laughing, but okay. Well, it's a funny movie, I guess. Like I said, I haven't seen myself. It's the kind of movie where you squirm on your seat. Okay. I really love the attention to detail here, right from the get-go, where you have like a different angle from filming the windows or the back of the buildings compared to the semi-basement apartment to the, the main house where we will spend most of the running time. For example, in the semi-basement, you have the cameras. When they look out of the window, the cameras are always positioned to the right side of the window. Whereas when you go to the park's apartment, it's always filmed from the left side. And somebody would then probably say that this is just unneeded, pointless. Not at all. I think it's really important that you get these kind of subconscious differentiations to your spaces. And in that way, 
you build kind of the difference between how you feel emotionally about different locations. It all adds to the experience. Something that basically everybody has also remarked when it comes to the, the usage of Windows is that, that Pong uses the Windows to kind of separate the center of the image. Uh, giving you this 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 feeling that you are watching the movie screen where the 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 window is the lighted area in the middle of of the screen and then there are the indoor environments for form the black bars on on top of mm. and below the lighted area later in the film for example when we are looking at the indian tv outside the camera is in the center and the, of course yeah like you said the window is Kind of in the same anamorphic size as the film. You can't take credit for for that point because that that that, that was the, like the second thing I came across when I started to research the film. Yes, so there is the issue with the Wi-Fi, and they finally get the Wi-Fi around the toilet, and they are able to get the WhatsApp messages. Oh, oh, they are able to find information about the pizza company. So the family is working for the pizza delivery company. But that the pizza box scene kind of a kind of a ties together with with the whole whole theme of of the poor family kind of acting like cockroaches. Like there there is the moment when 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 the when the brother and the sister are together going to the rich family's home for the first time. They have trained this this lie which they are going to present. She makes this twitching notion with her two fingers, kind of a signaling as he's reciting, and that's much like a cockroach with with antennas. And on top of that, the <laughs> the poor family members they constantly avoid taking eye contact, and they scatter on the floor, especially in in that nighttime hiding under the table scene. And they they live in these wet, dark underground spaces. And in the pizza box scene, they even get goddamn pesticide. They do. And this is a really interesting whole the whole thematic. And I would say that not all of them are cockroaches. The one that is the most obvious cockroach here is 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 the father uh, Gita, who. Well, I don't know if cockroaches don't cough when they get the extermination powders on their face, but nevertheless, it's an interesting little detail that Gita is the only one who is not coughing when the extermination is happening. Yeah, he's completely unfazed by by the dangerous toxics that are pushed into his face. And he's also the one who insists that the windows should not be closed. But they should leave it open because that way the the poor family also can get pesticide inside their home, which also could possibly kill the pests in in their yeah. apartment. So the pizza company lady is complaining about the box folding quality, and so their their part time worker in the company has gone AWOL. Just when love of God Church made a huge group order, of course, and. But the family sister of the Kims claims to know this person. And uh, Gibu accepts 10% penalty in return of the company hiring him. Just as a last, last notion for, for this scene on my part, there's a lot of attention to detail indeed here. There was even made like a complete backstory for certain side characters that lived on the streets. 
near the Kims. And the whole Kim block was designed after actual Korean ghost towns that were about to be torn down. So it's night time and they are getting their bountiful interwebs. A guy pees and Min is shouting at the guy, their friend who is going to visit them and shouts at to the guy, get a grip! And when Min met uh, Giwu, his grandfather insisted to bring this piece of rock for them. Grandpa collects this, so this one is said to bring, quote, material wells. And that's why Giwu probably holds on to it in the first place. But there's a lot of more things to go on to in this whole rock thing. He says at least twice in the film that something is so metaphorical. The rock is metaphorical. And was it also the, the painting of Dasung in the apartment? Opportune gift. Yeah, the, then again, the, um, basically the metaphors that you points out throughout the film, the, the rock and, and the painting, those actually, I always took that those, those were ironical statements. Like, he didn't really mean what he meant, that was, but he, that, that was kind of a rehearsed notion that, that he can give out whenever he's presented something for, for which he doesn't have a clear answer or he can't give a clear, honest answer. So in those moments, he would remark that, well, this is so metaphor- metaphorical. <laughs> yeah, of course. Maybe let's talk about the rock a little bit later when it gets more prominent. And from here we go to Min and Gyu sharing the drink. So Min is happy to have met Gyu's parents this way. And Gi Chung can't afford lessons, the sister of the Kim family. Min shows on phone a picture of Park Dai, a high school sophomore. And Min basically wants Gyu to take over from him as the, as the English teacher for this rich lady. Kind of a helping out his friend Gyu. He's kind of a... Asked to safeguard Dae's purity, sexual purity not being touched by basically anyone else. As Min himself is going to be an exchange student for a while. Yeah, that's right. Min says that uh, when she enters university, I'll officially ask her out. And of course, in this part, Gyu completely messes up everything. Would have been also interesting to see what happens to Min after all of this catastrophe at the end of the film, because basically it's all thanks to Min that this started to happen the way it did. Altogether, it would have been nice to actually have a quick glimpse at the at the complete fallout that happens. Yeah, so Gyu has taken the uni exam at least four times. Quote, you can teach ten times better than those drunken college pricks, end quote, from Min, so... So it goes, then it's uh, Photoshop time. Father looks at the forged document, says that she should get into Oxford to study document forgery. Actually, he doesn't say Oxford, but it was changed to Oxford in the subtitles to make it a little bit, to make the joke clear for the audiences. If you look at the scene where they're doing the whole actual Photoshopping, there's a different name of university there. It's a Korean university. Father says he is very proud of his son for this. And Sun considers this is not not to be a forgery or a crime, because he will go to uni next year anyway. I just printed out the document a bit early, which is a moment that got some laughs in the audience. So, now we enter the rich family's home for the first time. All thanks to Min, tutoring candidate, 
arrives at the intercom. So this is also the first time that we see the sun. And sun and sunlight and light in general is used in connection with the rich people. And every time you get lower in the hierarchy, you're going to have cellars and artificial lighting and darkness and rain. Yeah, and, and not only that, they, it also uses kind of the levels where the characters are in in contrast to their social class and the moving back and forth between the classes. Like when Gyu is, Gyu is first time coming to the park residence, he wa- walks up the street and the, the first shot is with Gyu being at the, at the lower end of the street. And then he he rises from there from from the from the bottom to the top, and same way also with Pepe. And this is kind of, kind of the constant way how the camera moves when whenever characters are either either coming to the park residence or leaving the residence, they either, either rise up or they descend to to some, somewhere to a lower stage, like. Going down the stairs, going up the stairs, and when here, here when Q first time comes to the park residence, that's also the first time that Q actually comes sees the sun in in the same picture that he is, or in the same image. About this whole rising up the stairs and carrying the rock with you, there was somebody who made the connection that this is about Greek mythology. Okay, so in Greek mythology you have this Sisyphus, and uh, Sisyphus, well, was the king of Ephyra, and he was punished for his self-aggrandizing craftiness and deceitfulness by being forced to roll an immense boulder up a hill only, for it to roll down when it nears the top, repeating this action for eternity. So, yeah, this is coming from Wikipedia, so... The film kind of starts at the bottom, then he gets the rock, he starts to carry it to the top, and then gets fast put down from the top once again. He he kind of does. Yeah, so I can see that analogy. There, there is also the analogy of, of the rock itself kind of becoming a prison for Giyu. He, when, when he's first presented or, or given the rock, that's when, when Min makes the original offer. That Kyu should st- uh, t- take the role of of the English teacher in in Park Residence, and that's k- kind of a Kyu reaching for for material wealth, more money, and and higher prestige for him and his family. And as and, and as the story progresses, that 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 same same line or or, or that same 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 way of operating. In and trying to rise yourself from from the lower social class to the higher, it 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 forces the Kim household to start taking more and more risks and take the con to further and further to a point where they no longer basically can even even stop the con and and can can't really escape the situation that they have drived themselves into. And at at that point, the the rock kind of becomes this burden. It's something that you can't let go. You can't you can't stop pretending to to be who he says he is. And at the same time, he also no longer can can abandon his goal for material wealth. And as as he keeps on with that, that 
in the end makes it so that they are in the ho- park home when the final moments, when the final carnage of the film happens. I also see the rock as uh, clearly a symbol of false hope and fakery, something like that, because there is later on one scene where you also see that the rock is floating, so very symbolic that it's kind of clinging on to to false hopes. And notice that at the end of the film, it seems that the rock has been replaced by the letter from, or the message from the, the Morse code message from the father. And that is something more real for which to cling on. It's kind of like you at the end of the film faces the reality and continues living in the semi-basement. And he has this, this whole idea of a plan, which his father doesn't really care for. Yeah, and which most likely is something that he can never actually achieve. So he's still clinging on false hope even at the end of the film. Yeah, that's actually true. That's actually true. Okay, so the building is designed here by a fictional architect called Namgong, says the house caretaker. And there's the lady outside sleeping or drunk, but later it's uh, quite clear that she seems to be not really drunk, maybe just out of boredom. She fell asleep in the sun. Who knows? It's a kind of an odd moment. But it, it kind of is. It starts to tele- telegraph to the audiences that there is something really wrong with the lady. Like she's not all there mentally or, or she's alcoholic or there is something, something else going on beneath the surface. Something that would cause this behavior. And at least as far as I, I saw the film, I never actually found any, any further examples that there would be anything to that. Like. Same. Yeah. yeah. It it kind of came off to me as, as false signaling from the film's end. It it promises you you some some dysfunctionality concerning the lady, which in the end there is none. I remember watching this film for the first time and I thought that this is some kind of a clear indication of a dysfunctional family and maybe something that the Gyu can use to his advantage here. But yeah, there are, or, there are or different that, that it leads yeah. into some kind of a threat against the Kim family during the like the last third of the film. Like there is there is a some kind of a hideous secret inside the park household that they are underground sex slave traffickers or cannibals or something like that. But but some some kind of a insidious other nature, another another life that the the park parks are having underneath their kind of a mask. But Exactly. Yeah. That, it, that's exactly what I thought the film was going to do right there. But then it sort of surprised me, and it's not about that at all. Yeah, it's it's not about that at all. As it turns out, Parks ain't that bad people at all. Like they they, they do have their faults, which come into play in in the last act of the film. They they are not perfect perfect, and you can kind of a, have an argument on. Who exactly are the parasites in the film? Is it, is it the Kims or is it the Parks? Like you, I you, think it's yeah. I I would argue that it's neither. It's it's more of a commentary about the parasitic nature of the capitalistic system that we live in. Kind of yeah, kind of yeah. Yeah, it's like the the, the 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 parasite is the 
capitalist system that we live in that is kind of eating us all at the same time. Yeah, or or you can see that it's it's both of them. Kim's directly yeah. as as they take advantage of the parks and they manipulate the park household to to kind of gain resources, mostly money from the parks. But at, at the same time, you can kind of say that that parks are also parasites in the film because they 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 use other people as a way to achieve something for themselves. They they use maid they the factories or the business that Don J Park has may may use cheap labor and they they can use their social status in in different ways to benefit themselves. They can for example live in a good neighborhood which brings them good friends and because of this more contacts which they then can use to kind of uphold their social status and also kind of raise up in the social hierarchy by u- using contacts using friends getting getting services and benefits from from the people they know and this way you can also say that that the parks themselves are are kind of a parasitic entity i saw that the the park family is indirectly causing harm kind of what you already said whereas the lower class might be doing it sort of more directly but the source source of all of that is the system itself and whereas the the parks are kind of running the show from the top of their hill the poor people downstairs are kind of uh, suffering for for kind of running the luxu- luxurious life lifestyle that they are keeping up there as you said with the with the help of others yeah and and that's kind of a once again that's a unified theme between parasite and snowpiercer where this where there's also the exact same mechanic between those who are in the lower end of the train and those who are in the who are in the front of the train the yep. tail end basically doing the hard labor so so that the, the head can live in easy luxury but that kind of kind of is is and goes on with capitalism capitalism as a system kind of a, is dependent on on a divided social class status capitalism needs the poor so that it can have someone who to use for example easy and cheap labor and in capitalistic system there always has to has to be the the diatomy between the haves and have nots that's Mm. One reason why, for example, no government, no country that actually exists and has a capitalistic a capitalistic system can ever truly have or even try to achieve 100% employment. Every country, Finland, US, Britain, every every capitalistic country always need some percent, uh, percentage of its citizens to be unemployed and the trick really is trying to get get as close to that minimal percentage as humanly possible like that's the that's the, when when there is the all, all these advan- advancements and all these programs aimed to kind of a kind of a higher up the employment rate and and get get people employed that's kind of where where those systems are in the end 
aiming at. They are not aiming at 100% employment. They are just aiming at trying to get the unemployment rate to the, the minimal percentage that it's needed. Let's talk about uh, Choi Wu-shik for a second. He's playing Q here. Are you familiar with his stuff? I I I have seen seen the the 2016 Chompy Apocalypse film Train to Busan. Oh yeah. yeah. That was uh, refreshing zombie stuff for a change. I mean, I had very low expectations because I generally just, you know, I just I have I get nothing out of zombie movies generally, but this was a really good one. Yeah, it it kind of a Uh, zombie movies have, have, these days have, have the problem that ever since Walking Dead, they have, have the market has been oversaturized with with, yeah. with zombies. And and there, there is kind of a, at some point you kind of get bored of the same monster being used one time after yeah. after again. Then again, the, the whole point in, in zombie movies altogether is that the zombies never should be the main point of a zombie film. Like the the zombie works as a as a driving force, but the true yeah. true conflict and the, the true narrative should play out between the the human characters. So yeah, Choi Wushik in this film Train to Busan, he was the baseball bat wielding student, and he's kind of the part of the new generation of Korean cinema. Has built quite of a huge career for himself already before Parasite in his homeland. He lived for many, many years in the States, but then came back to Korea to do some filmography there. He has also been in the coming-of-age story called Set Me Free. And in 2015, uh, he starred in the famous romantic comedy series called uh, Hogu's Love, also known as Fool's Love. Then, of course, we have Mrs. Park, Played by Yoyo Jing. She has spent most of her career doing Korean TV, so... I do know that there is, she uh, she has appeared in two films, which have made the international release, that being The Servant and Concubine, neither one that I've seen myself. Like, I, I don't know how limited the release on, on those films has been. Yeah. Here, Gyu is seen raising up the social class ladder by going up the stairs to the second floor of the apartment, where he's supposed to have his lesson for the sister of the Park family. And Mrs. Park wants to see the first lesson, where Gyu grabs the hand of Dae and points out to Dae that, look at this, your pulse is racing. What you need is vigor. And this stunt convinces Mrs. Park, I would say, at, at the end. And also there are, it's never really explained, but when uh, Gijung or... Jessica comes to the apartment. She also does seem to have quite quite of a skills to handle this young boy and impress Mrs. Park once again. So credit given where credit is due, they are really able to pull off this act. They agree that there will be three classes a week, two hours each, and quote, as for the pay I was going to pay mince rate, then I added a bit for inflation. He gets to be known as Kevin, as the teacher. Dasung is uh, shooting his arrows around the whole apartment. And they explain about the whole Indian exposure, where it's coming from, from this little camp trip. Interestingly, this whole Dasung's Indian tripping is also kind of something that is integrally part of the storytelling, I feel. Because now 
the, the Kims have gotten, you know, to the forbidden land, let's say. It's like the, the American colonists taking over America in the sense that now they are trying to, you know, push, up the, push out the current occupants of the house. I see this reference here. Now that's actually a good call. I, I completely missed that one myself. Yeah. They look at the painting of Dasung. Gyu makes the mistake of assuming that in the in the portrait there's a, a chimpanzee, but it's a self-portrait, sure enough. Outside of the porch, uh, Gyu comes up with this uh, whole Jessica idea, who is supposedly in the was in the same art school as Gyu's cousin. They were in Illinois and then came back to Korea. And now Jessica is seen outside of the porch of the Park family. There is this mnemonic tune, the so-called Jessica jingle. Jessica, only child, Illinois, Chicago, classmate Kim Jinmo, he's your cousin. In which way they are able to remember this whole cheat that they are going to introduce. This is sung to the tune of a famous Korean children's song. It's called Doctor is Our Land by Jong Wan Ta. It is used very often in Korea for students whenever they are needed to memorize some complicated things. I somehow can't see that one working. <laughs> yeah, th- I believe at this point Gyu goes to give his own lesson and then she is going to give her lesson. Now we look at the Diane uh, Dae talking about the Dasung, his brother, how it's all of an all an act in his in her opinion, acting like a genius that fourth dimension stuff is all fake, an artist cosplay. So Dae asks if Jessica is really only Gyu's cousin's classmate and convinces that yeah, but then the conversation, you know, goes a little bit to the romantic dis- direction. And the kiss, if we can compare Jessica to a rose, then you are dot dot dot. And he writes something on the paper. Nobody knows what it is, but it is something prefer- more preferable than rose, apparently. Yeah, it, it takes Gyu something like like two lessons until he starts to, to fuck up the whole whole means don't touch my future girlfriend slash fiancé thing. Funnily enough, here you also are given kind of a false ideas that this is going to, this whole mission is going to now fall due to this love story, but it never really does. Here, of course, we are also, yet again, having like a payback for the pulse checking. Now, Dae checks the pulse of Gyu, and they kiss. Jessica has taken control in Dasung's room, arrow in the button, and then they come downstairs, and he has completely transformed Dasung in the way that He's being very polite and so on. Also, if you want to read it that way, you can see also that Mrs. Park is coming up the stairs. And now you see, you know, like in a higher position, Kijung or Jessica and Dasung. Then again, sometimes stairs are just stairs. You know, we have a lot of stairs in this film. The, this is always. essentially people on stairs, the movie. <laughs> yeah. Now Jessica comes up with the plan of getting... Good money for her services because there is going to be some art therapy included in the future lessons for Dasun. And when she actually is talking about that, you can see that the light shuts down in the cellar. If you want to overread that to hell, then you can also see that it's, it's kind of uh, maybe showing that, you know, the light is dimming in the life of the Park family at this moment. Suggesting kind of further plummeting for the family for the moment. Well, uh, and it kind of is, because this is the, the moment when the floodgates really open in, in the Park family, and, and the mm-hmm. Kim family starts to move in, move in with force. 
up until this point, it just well at at first it it was just Gil who alone managed to, managed to get in, and then he managed to get his his sister sister in also. But at this point, they now join forces and they start to this this full force extremely aggressive operation to also get their parents inside the Park household. We also see Dongi arriving the steps, the, the family father of the Parks, where we get to the Yoon drop-off of Jessica. Jessica, who is very adamant that you can just drop me off at the Haiwa station, but we can clearly see that Yoon is a little bit interested in Jessica Lady because he really wants her to stay in the car, of course, you can also read it in that way that it would not be appropriate for the driver to leave her in such of a situation, such of a menacing place, such of a low class and filthy area. What are your thoughts? Did you feel that it, it was some kind of an infatuation situation or just? No, I I took it that simply as an as an act of politeness from the behalf of the driver. Yeah, and the scene ends with Jessica leaving her panties in the car. There's a moment in the driver's cafeteria, so they are now happy to afford in the Kim family to be able to eat in the cafeteria with the newfound money. Instead of folding pizza boxes, they are now the ones, well, not eating the pizza yet, I think, or was it the pizza? Anyway, later on in a further scene, they will also go to the, which looks like to be the pizzeria that they once worked for. And Yeah, it th- appears th- to be the same pizzeria. Which would make sense, because when She's serving the pizza or giving the ketchup or something. Uh, it seems to be done with a slight aggression. Now, of course, Dongi finds the panties in the car. And they're wondering why somebody would leave the panties in the car because of meth and cocaine, of course. <laughs> also, on, on Dongi's part, he's really good at, you know, playing the game to the Kim's end by by making the situation worse for the driver here. And then eventually deciding that they should get rid of the driver. And then Jessica cheats in the new driver. There's a great quote from, from the Mrs. Park. This chain of recommendations is the best. How should I describe it? A belt of trust. Kind of ironic. It, it is, and that that's kind of a, one of the notions that really, really signal in and and build the the road in, in into the eventual downfall of basically the both 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 families at at the end of the film there, there is once once again there's this kind of a toxic nature of the of the social hierarchy and so, social systems where the members of of one social class have this kind of a unwarranted and unneeded trust to, to towards each other the and this mostly comes in play playing with with how how the Kims are able to infil- infiltrate the parks because well, like you mentioned parks put a lot of emphasis on on recommendations that someone who they know says something nice about about the next person it, it's kind of a this this version of small corruption where Every other candidate is automatically invalidated and not taken into account, or there is no, not even process that through which they could have the chance, any kind of a chance, and it sim- and instead it, the whole system works around this small circle where somebody knows someone who recommends someone, and it's it's this 
I, I have a friend that has a friend that has a friend type of, type of situation. And where this eventually leads in the film is that nobody actually in, in the Park household does, for example, any kind of a background checks. Nobody checks out the diplomas which Cube originally brought with him to the original interview in, in, inside the household. And no closer eye is paid to basically anything in on behalf of the parks. To be fair, I wouldn't probably check those diplomas either, because it's really too easy to start in the, the friend of a friend employment. Kinda, kinda it is. Uh, like I, I, I can understand that it's easy. At, at the same time, it's kind of a har- harmful to to anyone who is not part of your social class because they can't can't be in in that network of friends and it like, like we see see in the film it also at the same time it it opens a, a, a works as a as an opening of a gate that can easily backstab you in the end i'm kind of happy that it does backstab in the end this can be seen as a very clear and a motivated uh way from the director's side that he really wanted to communicate that against this kind of a friend of a friend employment. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of, I, I got the same feeling. Like, o- overall, Bong in his filmography, he, more often than not, he appears to be extremely critical of, of capitalism and, and the smaller systems within capitalism. Yeah, and what seems to be happening in the car store scene is that the Gite, the father, is with Gyu trying out the Mercedes that they have like a hands-on feeling to the Mercedes car. They spend quite a lot of time in the car to the annoyance to of the other customers. So now the father has more experience with Mercedes when he is put into the place of the driver later because he's going to be driving Hongi's car so he doesn't have to buy his own car or anything like that. Dongi, who is the CEO of a successful IT company here. And we have the car ride with the new driver. Turns off the navigator to Im- impress Dongyi. Yeah, there, there is a earlier notion being made that Kite has worked as a driver at some point of his life. Exactly how, yeah. how many years ago that was is never made clear, but he obviously has some experience in, in driving and about the roads. True professional. Jessica is now getting rid of the housekeeper. The original housekeeper has been in the house from the very beginning of the house when the architect was living there. Did you find something met- metaphorical going on with the peaches? Quote, I want to eat peaches. I like peaches best. Why not ask for some? No peaches at our house. It's a forbidden fruit. And then they go to the lengths after this realization that they need to. Or that's when you hear about the plan of getting rid of the housekeeper. Um... I didn't find anything that metaphorical to the peaches. The peaches have occasionally been used as an extremely sexualized fruit. Right. Yeah, the peach being something that that in in some cases is tied down with femininity or or feminine body parts, like for example vagina, and that that kind of coming into a play play in in lines like I could eat peach for hours. But uh, other than that, I really didn't actually play that close eye to the peaches in, in Parasite. Now this whole elaborate plan goes into fruition here. Gite is taking the photo of the house 
keep her in the background of the in the hospital. And Gitae says he went for his annual medical checkup and later noticed that the housekeeper is in the background of the picture which he took as a selfie for his wife. And they're training the, the part of saying these words. Emotions are going a little bit too high for Gite, and then Gyu instructs that you have to put your emotions a little bit down right around the chest area or maybe a little bit lower even. And the lie is planted about the tuberculosis phone call. And of course they go home and then she is coughing and coughing tomato sauce. I fact-checked that it's actually correct that Korea has the number one rate of tuberculosis in all of the OECD countries. That is true, there's about 34,000 cases each year. Jessica goes to plant now some more peach powder on her, and yeah, the tomato sauce is icing on the cake. Which leads to the private discussion in the second floor sauna room between Gite and Yongkyo. Please don't tell my husband. Gite even shares kind of an uncomfortable moment with Yongkyo during the handshake. I felt that this was this was maybe Gite's ham-fisted attempt to also get the lady out of the house, the Mrs. Park, but couldn't quite get there. Or maybe getting into a kind of a sexual situation with Mrs. Park would have been helping them to get rid of her as well. I, I on my end, I, I just saw that as Gite kind of forgetting the lie that they have been building up. Because Gide knows that the tuber- uh, TP is is not real in this situation. It's just hot sauce and and manufactured asthma attacks. And because of that, when it comes to for personal hygiene, after touching the the handkerchief, he it's kind of an easy mistake to make. Forget to wash your hands. <laughs> yeah, that finishes the scene with rolling eyes, which seem to indicate like a come on, lady. Or then it's simply. Him kind of being disappointed and kind of ashamed of himself, like, oh yeah, how could mm. I be so goddamn stupid? <laughs> Housekeeper gets fired, and there's the car ride between the fathers of, of Kim and Park families, where we have a really important quote from Park, I can't stand people who cross the line. And he keeps saying this, at least in two occasions. Yeah, Daddy, Daddy Park has a real thing with people remembering to not to cross, the, cross any lines. Yeah, so you can also cross the line by just smelling foul in his opinion. Yep, and and that's that's one of the condemning aspects in, in the film towards the, the father park and kind of the rich characters of the film most of, most of the time the film presents the the parks as 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 nice and if not nice well a, at least okay people like daddy o parks biggest mission in the film is is spend some quality time with his son and play around with walkie talkies and stuff like that that's all something that you would say that that at Good person would do. A good father would spend time with um, spend time with his son. And most of the time, Parasite actually shows Parks in this light. But there is every so slight moments here and there in the film where kind of, kind of this this more disgruntled aspect of the Park starts to seep into into the surface. And maybe biggest example of this precisely is the whole. Poor people smell bad. Notion that especially Father Park has. When you have the discussion between Dongi, the father of the Park family, and 
Ogunse, the man from the cellars, there's probably not even an actual odor coming out of Ogunse. It's just kind of a more of a like a statement that you are from the lower class and therefore you kind of stink even if you don't. But could be that you know you he, he granted he doesn't really do laundry in the cellars, right? So yeah, it's it's kind of a hard hard to say, but say for absolute certainty because at the t- at some points Park's reaction or, or pa- Park family members' reactions towards different type of smells is kind of over at the top. Like like there, there are those moments yeah. when they are squeezing their nostrils together to really visibly. It showed you that they are trying to block the the smell, the undefined smell. Yeah, it's this it's this unnatural divide that he wants to build between these different classes, where where Dongyi is not even treating the Kim family or anyone really below him as humans. They are just some kind of his cockroaches, and as we see in the yard scene at the near the end of the film. More clear, the, the Park family, at least Dongi, just cares about his close circle because he wants the car keys from Gite and doesn't care about Kichung, who is bleeding to death in the yard. Yeah, Ooh, and that's yeah. that's another kind of a very, very showing moment or showing aspect when it comes to the parks in, in the film. They kind of a disregard that they, when the when the situation gets quote-unquote tough, the disregard that they showcase towards anyone other than the members of their household. Like, but, uh, Father Park, a couple of times in the film, Father Park remarks that he has the he has the right to demand something from his employees. This is uh, kind of a, the most prominent moment Moment with this is, is, is when, when Donji demands that that Gite wears that that feather hat which kind of is a bit embarrassing for them I mean Donji himself even even remarks on this that this is this is somewhat silly somewhat embarrassing who could have thought that that two older guys like us would ever do anything like this and yeah. when when Kite seems somewhat he- hesitant in the situation, Donji's immediate reaction is to remind Kite that he's paying him. The money comes from from Donji, so he has every right to to demand that Kite performs this humiliating action. And following that moment, there is there is the whole end carnage of, of, of the film in which Donji's family has well. He Donji himself he suffers two fainting family members, his son and wife, both faint in 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 face of the carnage. And all his basically interest, all he cares about in that moment is is his wife and his son who has simply fainted, and the young lady who is bleeding to death on the on the back lawn, resulting from a stab wound. Well, that's something that he's completely willing to le- leave behind him. That's something that she is something that is not allowed to be carried into the car, and you shouldn't really worry about her. But going back to the car, it's uh, unbelievable how gullible the Mrs. Park is throughout the film. Then, of course, there's also the the family father Dongyi, who doesn't seem to 
pay any attention to what is happening with the whole personal change inside the household because he should be aware of what his wife is doing with this all these different decisions in the house. And, but apparently she, he is not paying a lot of attention. You could also make the argument that he is not able to pay as much attention as he should because he is supposedly this kind of a workaholic running the company. So that could be one reason. And of course now Gite does one more foolery to get the mother inside the household via this fake The Care company. And this works out because Gite organizes it like this, that that, that Dong Yi can take credit for getting her into the house. So, so, so there is no need to mention the Gite part of it anywhere to his wife. I kind of see also this uh, quote, still you love her, right? As kind of a way of Gite trying to break up the dynamics in the relationship. He was kind of, you could see that he was trying to do that in the sauna and now he's trying to do that to the husband. Yeah, I I paid the, also I I did that. The, but but Gite remarks, is it, is it two or three times in course of the film, he, he asked Donji if he really loves his wife. And I, I was actually wondering what was going on with that. Uh, that was that was one one of the moments that I really couldn't crack when I when I was watching the film. Yeah, I couldn't quite understand it anymore when he was about to play the Native American game. And near the end of the film maybe Gite was trying to kinda of confirm if whether or not Dongi has any kind of a normal morality of a of a human being. Like you still love her, right? You still love her. It, but it, then again, he, yeah. Yeah, it it could be. It it could kind of a showcase that that the Kim family also, or at least Kite, is somewhat stereotypical when it comes to to well, well, in this case, the rich. Like that, he he tries to see and confirm for himself that that if if Donji plays into this this stereotypical into this role of a stereotypical rich man who who has has wife simply to have a wife who has a son and a family simply sim- simply as a status symbol and not something that <clears throat> not, not because he would actually love and care about well well either one of them that's probably the case i th- i think honestly dongi doesn't care about his wife because when he's first time being asked the question in the car in the mercedes that whether he loves her or not he does this kind of a nervous tapping on on his leg like many 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 times seeming to indicate that he is uncomfortable with the question like even not on the normal level but also it seems to indicate that he doesn't really love her yeah yeah he he kind of does and and he's kind of a hesitant to answer the question he's the answer is kind of a yeah i, I guess i still do and l- later on during the indian hat thing when with the question is again revoked in in that case donji becomes outright hostile and shoots down the question immediately that is the question that makes donji make the whole reco- remark well i'm paying you extra to shut mm-hmm. down the conversation i i too played played i do that and that does kind mm. of a like it, it doesn't exactly confirm it to be the case but it does at least partly paint the picture that there is a there is a possibility that that Yuan Guo is something like a trophy wife 
in the end. Or if if not trophy wife, then 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 a wife that has lost her husband's love in course of the years. Yeah, because it's also noted that the, she's a terrible cook in his opinion and can't really do any kind of a housework. Of course, that's not really grounds for not to love someone, but uh, it's giving some kind of an indication on his part that everything is not quite right in his opinion. Especially, especially if you count in the typical social stereotype about the rich people, especially rich men that. All that rich men have is trophy wives, and they are incapable of actually really loving a woman. And yeah. if that's kind of the perspective that that you are willing to take with the film in during these scenes, it starts to very it, it does really start to kind of a signal to you that that's that that is the case with Don G and his wife. Yeah, because in this short moment, it's it could give the indication to the the viewer that this relationship is kind of a sterile that there's not much you know proper affection or kind of shared romantic time in this relationship if they don't cook together or do something like that maybe it's it's kind of played only for appearances to live in the same household as a, yeah. As a couple yeah then again there there is some affection shown yeah. during the, the so far night sexy times sure yeah once again, once again, uh, is it real affection or is it just a sexual impulse? That's something that I leave out there to the judges. I can't really be authority on that one because I didn't manage to com- like figure it out completely or really crack the question for myself either. But there is a chance that there still exists passion and when the Kims have kind of completely taken over the the house, when they're the the Park family is supposed to go camping, it's Gite or Chungsuk who makes the notion that that kind of the money is the glue that makes everything work and happy in this environment. And yeah, if you start to think if that would be taken away, would the Park family be together anymore? Yeah, that that's a good question, and and that's a question that kind of kind of a stays unanswered because when it comes to the parks the money in in the end of the film the money kind of is being taken away as as donji who is the business owner of the family dies leaving kind of a yungyo and and rest of the household to survive somehow in some capacity but but what that is is never actually shown but in in some form, yeah, the the parks lose the money in the end. Yeah, uh, please don't make a sequel though. Not needed. Thank you. <laughs> at at this moment, mother mother of the Kim family, Chung Suk, takes over as well as the housekeeper. And is it at this moment that we, for example, here we have baroque music playing in the background? It was a suggestion of director Bong. He wanted to have this kind of a sophisticated musical scape surrounding the pretension that the poor family was putting on, giving this kind of ironic, sarcastic quality. And here we have, we see already kind of the kind of the consequences of getting the whole Kim family inside the Park family household. There's this moment of ass grabbing from Gite and grabbing the ear of Kyu, and things start to escalate quite right away since Dasung makes 
the smart uh, notion here that all of them are smelling the same, in which they can't quite avoid because it's it's, it's because of the semi-basement smell that they can't get rid of. Once again, we're talking about the smell. Yeah, the the Kims as a as a family unit, they start to make a lot of stupid mistakes once the entire family has been able to infiltrate the Park household. Oh, do they really? I think everything is fine before we get to the second half. Well, well, I, I would say uh, grabbing the ass, touching the ear, all, <laughs> well. all, all those sh- signs of affection, e- even though they went unnoticed, yeah. but, but they still were kind of toying and playing with the risk of, of getting caught. And I would really be hesitant to actually do that kind of a, uh, to give out that kind of signals myself in in Kim's situation, and, and where 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 the shit goes completely off the rails is about the midway point of the film when the parks have gone gone to the camping and the Kims have kind of a, te- a temporarily taken the house for themselves. Back at the semi basement house, there's the Gil who has had enough of this. Poor people outside their apartment peeing, and there is this is a kind of a comical scene where Gyu is fighting with water against the against the urinating man who seems to have quite a lot of stuff there inside the bladder at the moment. And this is where the Park family starts to prepare for the camping, and uh, the dogs are introduced to. They are Zuni, Berry, and Fufu. They all have different kinds of foods. Finally, now the Kims are roaming freely at the house at this point, and Gyu is gazing at the sky from home. I was kind of wondering what that meant. Gazing at the sky from home. So, is, 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 he, is he talking about the same sky that he's able to see from home? I suppose not, because you can't see the sky directly from home. So, he's now calling this new, new apartment his home. Not sure what was going on there. Then, Gyu throws the sparkling water in, in the bathroom for Kichung. And Gyu jumps cheerily on the bed. Everything seems to be going perfectly their way. There's a hammer throw at the yard. Seems to hit a car. Until we get to the evening time. It's here when the rain is starting to fall on the lawn. As they are sipping in the whiskey. And immediately when the rain starts to fall. Also their whole plan here is starting to fall and collapse. And they have to go down where they came from. With the water. There are some... uh, Bad deeds from everybody in this film. Now Gyo is peeking into the yellow notebook, the diary of Dae. This is something that is like morally, I would say morally wrong that the character is doing. And if you start to think about it, I think everybody throughout this film is doing something like that. Yeah, yeah, they they all are in, in some capacity. They are being immoral in different situations. Yeah. So, some more than others, uh, in in some ca- situations, those immoral actions are more understandable. But you, yeah, you can ca- kind of say that nobody is one hundred percent good in in the film. When you look at the the body language and the things that uh, Gijung Jessica does in the film, it looks like she is the most cool headed, the person who is most in control, at least in the Kim family. At any point when they're having hardships, for example, when their semi-basement starts to flood, she takes it in a cool way, just smoking uh, smoking on top of the toilet seat. And 
Also here, Gil makes the notion that, quote, the rich house suits you. Carva giving the audience the indication that that in, a, in some way Jessica is the most, let's say, human character of the, of the Kim family. If you're going to, you know, go on a scale from human to a cockroach, she's the least cockroachian character in the Kim family. Or, or at least she's most fluid of, of the Kims, so that for her it's easiest to, to transgress into a member of a higher social class. Like she, she has some mm. kind of an aspect in her. She carries herself in a way that she's closer to, for example, Parks than the rest of the Kim household. Yeah, I think she might be like the, the smartest out of the family. Unfortunately, that smartness does not save her in the end. The reference to cockroach is made here directly towards the Gite, and we also see that this is something that is less noted in the film because Gichung. Jessica is eating dog food. Notices it when the doorbell is now starting to ring. And of course, the old housekeeper is at the door now. It's an interesting, like, this is the midway of the film, so to speak, thematically. And it's also a scene where things could have gone wholly differently. When I was in the theater watching this for the first time, I felt that I had, I had the, I had the idea where this is going to go. And this film also has the skill, at least in in my situation, where it constantly surprises me with its surprises. Uh, for example, here I was thinking that where the direction is going to go is that now the ex-housekeeper must know something about the Kim family and their takeover of the of the building, and now she's going to come back, strike back, and and make them pay for it in some gruesome ways. But that also never happened. Also, you could question whether it was at all needed for the Kim family to open the door for her. This could have been like a like a moment where they could have just said, no, get the hell out of the property. And there would be no harm done and she would not have returned because she can't really come back there when the Park family is in, inside the household. Yeah, I, I would have thought that maybe she, in, in that case, maybe she would have tried to break into the house for example, through the garage. Yeah, yeah, true. She has the aptitude to cut the CCTV camera, so maybe she could pull that off. Yeah, and, and she has a, a kind of a desperate drive to get into the basement <coughs> of the house. Like, she has to get there somehow. Yeah, so the housekeeper has been in touch with Dasung, the, the young kid of the, of the Park family, and therefore she knew about the whole camping trip that they were going to take. The husband has been down there for at least over over four years. And this happened when there was the change of ownership of the land four years ago when Namgon, the architect, left and moved for Paris. In this time they organized it so that, well, she was able to get Organse downstairs because he is running away from, from all these land sharks. The land sharks from which they got the money to live and seem to have made many, many bad decisions like that, so Ogensei has to be downstairs. So the ex-housekeeper offers to send money monthly in exchange for her to deliver food to the sellers. Bong has always wanted to include some kind of a Bates House type of a thing for his movies, and this is happening here. For example, in the Psycho, the mother is kept in the cellars, and here we have also something terrifying waiting downstairs. 
And now we have this uh, poor family contest who is going to take over the house control right now. And the Moon Kwang, the old housekeeper, is doing his kind of an impression of a North Korean news anchor, uh, pulling it off quite well. I'm not sure if Polish audience has quite got the whole joke. Of course, it's mentioned that this is, you're talking like a North Korean news anchor and pulling it off really well. Uh, but yeah, uh, this could be kind of an insider humor. You have to kind of know something about the South North Korea scape to, you know, enjoy that reference. Well, to, to be honest, even though I did kind of more or less get the reference, the hilarity of the, of the scene also went completely past me. Okay. But this is cut short. You get a little bit of a backstory of... You You see the flashbacks. It's made out to be like... Mung Wang and Ogun Si are reminiscing the moments when they first got inside the building. Kind of a peachy moment, if if you will. But now it's time for peach warfare. Because the, the, the Kim family is starting to... Trying to take back the control. And get the phone that has this incriminating video that they have to get rid of. I'm not sure if exactly whatever happens to the phone at the end, but nobody gets to send the video, finally. Now the parks, of course, call, and young Yo calls the apartment and orders Mrs. Kim to cook some ramdom, which is a mixture of ramen and udon. Apparently, this is nothing fancy, of course, this is just two instant noodles mixed together, as I understand it. And the one has some other taste and some other taste in the other one. But she does mix with the noodles beef, which I've come to understand is, is highly valued in yeah. in South Korea. Like like that's some something of a of a gourmet and Yeah, the, the, this is this is kind of a weird moment. So there's kind of a, this mixing of two cultures, let's say. You have something that the poor family would be eating, which is mixed with the valuable meat. So the two worlds collide in that plate. Yeah. It, it's it's kind of a like like stuffing together a high-class piece of meat and chicken McNuggets into one bowl. Yeah. Ogunse is tied up and taken to the cellars with Mung Wang, and the parks arrive, and Mizuni tries to smoke out uh, Gyu's hiding place. Dai gets interrupted, I guess, by the smell of Ramdom, and doesn't look under. And, of course, this is adding to the scheme that we have here, that the Park family, the rich family, never really looks down, as she doesn't. The Kims are running around the entire building, and at the end it happens so that they all, all are kind of backed under the living room table, except, of course, Junsuk, who is serving the family. Mung Kwang also pushed down the stairs. Ogunse is playing with the light switches to do his thing that he seems to have been doing for the last four years as a kind of a uh, appreciation for the Mr. Park. But what he's also doing, he's sending Morse code by the lamps, apparently to the Dasung's enjoyment. And it's also what a ghost would do in kind of like a ghost stories, typical ghost stories. And then we get the ghost reference, clearly, where it's explained that Dasung saw a ghost once when he went to eat a cake from the fridge in the middle of the night. And that ghost, of course, was the Ogunse. And Dasung was said to have suffered a seizure after that. Then we see also the gullibility again of Young Yo, who states that kids need to be taken into treatment in 15 minutes or they're, quote, done for. 
already at this point you see that Ogense has a few screws loose. He has been there, down there quite too long. He talks to himself, he's banging his head against the buttons. He says he wants to live there until the, what was it, until old age. Also kind of a ironic, sarcastic moment where the Mrs. Park makes the notion that, well, uh, ghosts bring wealth. And she adds that lately we've been doing quite well, so... Well, now that everybody's neatly under the living room table, uh, Dasung puts up the tent in the pouring rain and there is this SMS messaging between uh, Gyu and Dae, followed by quite real-looking sexual stimulation right there. Like, can the film be also classified as porn? Because there's, there's a lot of kind of different categories here throughout the film. It's a thriller, let's say it's a drama, you have uh, elements of horror, it's kind of an art film as well, in its visual representation. And Dongi makes the notion about that he would get really excited about a little bit of a role play with the ex-driver Yoon's girlfriend's panties, which he found in the car. <laughs> okay. Only rich people stuff, I guess. Finally, they start to sneak away from under the table. Dasung almost spoils the escape attempt with the tent getting the lights on, and then he's taking the radio contact to his parents, and like a cockroach, the father is now stuck on the floor, and he can't move. Although, which way does it actually go? Don't cockroaches kind of avoid the light? So now that there's light, maybe he should be going away from the scene? Anyway. Luckily for Gite, Donji is apparently like half blind, and doesn't notice a grown-ass man lying on the floor right next to him. And doesn't hear this noisy cockroach when he starts pulling himself away. Yeah, but that that's how the old saying goes, that the love is blind and deaf, and <laughs> can't articulate co- properly, and has dementia. So, kind of a, in a surprising moment, the whole family gets out, out of the building. I found it surprising because what you would expect, of course, here is that something goes terribly wrong at the last second and somebody gets screwed and then they have to explain themselves to the family or police comes into the scene or nothing like that. We continue on. And they start running away from the house and, of course, they are going downhill. And as I understand, all of these shots that are involved with the return to the semi-basement, these are shot all around Seoul in different locations. And... It seems to be some kind of a thing for directors that every director wants to have this kind of an epic rain scene where there's something special going on. For example, now it's filmed in different locations all around Seoul. And you see this is one shot where you have, you know, quite iconic stuff going on. They walk down the long staircase uh, taken from a similar side angle as at the house when they go either up or down. And then these different stairs, there's this discussion at the stairs. The director wanted to emphasize that the water flows from rich to the poor. The water always flows down, as explained. And Gyu makes the kind of a deluded question to his sister, what would Min do in this situation? And sister answers, well, Min wouldn't be in this situation. So it's kind of the de- denial phase of Gyu starting to die here. And father is talking about his own plan of what to do when things go wrong, right? Which is followed by the moment when their home is flooded and then he decides that 
it's just the best that there is no plan whatsoever, which we will get into in, in a second. Here we also have the stone floating in the water. Now that the home has flooded, there's this uh, quick look at the ex-housekeeper who is very dizzy in the cellars and can't see much because she suffered a concussion previously. And she's puking down the toilet. And here we see that it's cutting next to the toilet of the Kim family in the semi-basement. And that toilet is spewing down this garbage from, 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 from the toilet. So what comes from the up is spoon downstairs. Kind of. It, it also juxtaposes the whole flooding when it comes to the two households. To, the, to Kim's, this is an absolute tragedy that, that destroys their home and evacuates them to, to, to the gymnasium where they has, has to take part in this temporary housing am, amongst with any other flood victims. And at the same time, time to parks, this is kind of a huge blessing. Like the parks are happy that they got the rain and how it made their lawn look so much better. Exactly, exactly. Also in the flooded semi-basement, I noticed that the lights were blinking, but were they blinking and doing the same Morse code that has been done in the park cellars? You know, knowing how attention to detail crazy Bong is, it's probably something like that that is going on, or some kind of a Morse code probably going on there, I'm not sure. It, it could be... I, I myself, I checked the film in cinemas, so I didn't have the opportunity to actually, you know, take notes on, on the blinking lights and try to decipher whether or not it's, is it Morse or is it not. How was the crowd in the, in the cinemas? Were you in the Rovaniemi Theater or? I, I was in Rovaniemi Theater. It, the theater itself was really small and the crowd was Kind of a mixed bag. Mostly it was cinephiles like myself, who kind of were glued to the screen and stayed silent. And right next to me there was this old couple of which the husband was snoring at times. <sighs> as, as the film was playing and there was all, all, all this scuffling and, and all, all other random noises coming from their direction. And at the times I was really like, like ready to strangle the couple right then and there. But but other 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 than than the old couple, other than that, my my crowd experience was was pretty nice. It was pretty okay. I've been in far more worse screenings. Oh yes, indeed. I hope you threw some popcorn at the couple's direction. God, God, help me! No popcorn cost money. <laughs> also this metaphorical symbolic stuff is happening all over the place as everybody knows like now when we are in the in the semi-basement there is also this camera which goes half underwater and from which we cut very like in a beautiful manner to the next kind of a full shot from above where you see everything flooded once again it's kind of showing the demise of the Kim situation. The rock has fallen down the hill and actually it properly drops when uh, Giu drops the rock later down the stairs to the cellar and that's when everything goes to hell. Yeah it's, it's kind of like that the flooding was, was the calm before the storm moment metaphorically in the film 
and the family hiding hiding under the table was was the calm before the storm very literally in the film you mentioned the kind of emergency camp at the is it gymnasium so, something like that there's a key quote from Gite. well this is full of key quotes but here here goes quote Gyu, you know what kind of plan never fails no plan at all you know why if you make a plan life never works out that way Look around us. Did these people think, let's all spend the night in a gym? But look now, everyone's sleeping on the floor, us included. That's why people shouldn't make plans. With no plan, nothing can go wrong. And if something spins out of control, it doesn't matter. Whether you kill someone or betray your country, none of it fucking matters. Got it? And now, that's me again. Uh, there's a whole analysis or kind of a review, or rather a rage view, where there's a critic who criticizes the director for, quote, leftist politics that have infected the cultural stream. <sighs> I'm not going to read the whole review, he- review here or anything, but <sighs> what I would say to this is that he himself states here that the film doesn't have a clear antagonist, true, and nor is the film any kind of an- antifa or anarchistic statement in my view. Okay, I understand where you could be coming from and reading it that way, that way. But this is a film, in my opinion, that realizes kind of the faults of the current capitalistic system, as mentioned. There's always someone who has to suffer to keep the rich in their position, in the upstream hills, if you will. And it's the same argument in the Snowpiercer. And if you create a system where you have like a... Its fuel is infinite growth or artificial scarcity... Uh, then there will always always be different kinds of social issues. They will be inevitable. It's like a built-in feature of, of the social system. And, well, in the Snowpiercer, you have a polar bear. The polar bear didn't wave a fucking communistic flag or anything. It might, in fact, kind of symbolize some kind of a peace resolution that we are now kind of outside of, syst- outside of the system looking for something else, right? And, you know... What is the next stage? Where do you go from here? That's kind of what it's saying to me. Like, Parasite does the same thing in the emergency camp, in a way. Like, father says, none of it fucking matters. Again, in the confines of, from from your, in kind of a truncated frame of reference in the system. And the, the higher class, they will kind of kill you indirectly. The proletarians might kill you directly with a stab in the heart, as we see. Bong, as a director, he's not kind of patting for anyone. He's not patting anyone on the back. So with that, you could kind of make the case that that Parasite is in fact the system itself, as I said. We have nothing better to offer at the moment. That's true. But I don't think it changes the validity of the argument that there is this kind of a system that we inhabit that is cancerous, kind of a cannibalistic, like like a Parasite, uh, or in a way. It's the parasite that is eating us. And uh, it's showing kind of the collective human stupidity, if you, if you will, and sticking it straight under your nose in this film. It's kind of a mirror. So you look into the mirror. It's not a surprise that some of these Korean movie fans who have watched this, they have felt very uneasy when they are seeing this. Maybe these are the kind of people who are carrying their Gucci bags around the town, you know, it's and they have to watch this film, and they see that the Gucci life is not the answer to their problems. And that the film also kind of touches on mortality as a second point. 
Like you will not last forever, even if you sit in that house and life will never be perfect. And that seems to be kind of very uncomfortable for some of the audience. I understand this was received with kind of a mixed bag feelings from the general audiences sometimes, which might be in the minority, but like a clear phenomena happened there. People are uncomfortable watching this film. Yeah, a couple of notions that uh, first three, uh, as I said, I myself, I haven't seen Joker yet, but what I've uh, understood following the, the news around the film, I'm come to the, I, I have come to the understanding that from the two films, Parasite and Joker, Joker is actually the one that is more anarchistic and yeah. more Antifa in, in kind of its its presentation. Disturbingly so sometimes. Yeah, I, I've understood that. Unlike in Parasite, if I've understood correctly, in, in Joker, the, the resolution to the class divide is the violent rebellion of, of, of the lower class and the lower class turning violently hostile towards towards the higher class and this kind of a at least an attempt at some kind of a re uh, revolution in, in, within Gotham yeah yeah and, uh, at the same time it doesn't really glorify it in my in my opinion because this is all growing from a sick man's head who finally you know does something horrifying in the duration of the film and he gets like a support for that okay empathy from from the bigger crowd that leads into the joker that we know from the other films the batman films and he is always seen as kind of an antagonist character that's kind of what the film is doing it's it's making your mind kind of fucked up because you're looking at this joker guy who is obviously he's sick in the head but he's also not really a protagonist in any way uh, you mean you feel empathy in some way but what he's doing is wrong, it's kind of dancing in the middle there, like, how you should feel about this whole, what happens at the end of the film. Yeah, I, I like, following Joker, I've kind of, a, I, I've noticed that basically everyone and their dog draws the parallel between, that, uh, between Joker and the Travis Pickle of Taxi Driver, and I've kind of understood that they are, in in that regard, they are both kind of a movies of, of the same vein. Bo bo both yeah. have a protagonist that is essentially is is not a hero in 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 the center of their story. Bob in both films, the protagonist is, in the end is a deeply disturbed young man who reacts violently to to the feeling of being isolated by the society that surrounds him. Yeah. I I can perfectly understand why somebody could read it in a way that this is a highly inappropriate film because it you could read it also as well in a way that it's kind of glorifying or giving kind of a pedestal for 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 criminal actions some very anarchistic ideas indeed but from here we get to the next morning which is kind of the most absolutely devastating contrast in the entire film where where you have the contrast bit, bit drawn between the two families. One is down in the gutters in the gymnasium and the other is calling about a big party that they want to organize. Uh, here is where the tension is growing between the families, especially with Gite and Dongi. Dai wants to have Kevin to the party and so Kevin is gotten to the party and so is so so are other people, family members as well. 
As you noted, Yongo thanks the rain for removing the dust particles, which is where the nerves of Gite are really starting to boil. Because Yongo in this scene, he, she completely disregards the storm victims that just suffered the last night. And it's either that she doesn't know anything about it, she doesn't care anything about it, or it's even both. Yeah, I, I took it that she's kind, kind of the kind of blind to the fact that there there is the, the lower class, the, the poor, who actually might be extremely negatively affected by the flood. Yeah, the, this is a situation, of course, where the rich people could help out the poor people, whereas it's kind of completely ignored here. And Gita is helping with the shopping as well. Market worker juxtaposed with the happy young girl doing the shopping and talking over phone. And now we get the party time where indeed Gyu and Dae are kissing. So there's a little bit of a romantic flavor in the film as well. Dae makes the notion, quote, while kissing me, you thought of some something else. Indeed he did. He has bigger fish to worry about at the moment. But also is taking the time to meditate, looking at the people who are in the yard right now. Like how they are also happy and harmonized down there. Could be mentioned also that Gyu has now brought the stone with him. He's now carrying it all over the place. And made the notion in the gymnasium that he's not clinging on to it, but the rock itself is clinging on to him. Here's where the mayhem starts. Chung Suk has changed her tune. Like, quote, we all, we all got too fucking worked up last night. So they're trying to make it make it well at this moment, which is, of course, already too late, because Mung Kwang has died thanks to the brain trauma. Gyu drops the rock down the stairs, then gets attacked by Ogun Se, runs back up the stairs, gets stacked with the rock. I guess to his fortune, <laughs> this is not a real rock, so it might have softened the impact. Still looks gory as hell. It, it does kind of operate like a real, lo- real rock as, as it's being mashed into his head. Yeah, very surprisingly he is able to survive this with a little bit of a brain surgery only. And, yeah, Ogensei is now outside, looking for the Kim family, stabs Gijung immediately, which of course connects now to the traumatic story of Dasung, who had already claimed that he had seen the ghost be- before, and now this is coming to kind of a full fruition scene. The, his ghost now ruining his birthday party completely. There is also a fly on Ogensei's hand when he's lying on the on the yard, which could have some kind of added symbolism as well. Well, now Dongi wants the car keys. He's asking from Mr. Kim, like, what are you doing? Well, of course, he's helping Jessica, who is bleeding on on the yard. But Dongi is being a very self-centered bastard at the moment and kind of gets what's coming in that sense, in this moment. Because the only thing that Dasung has is, well, you can't... Well, it's it's a mental trauma for sure, but somebody is bleeding on the yard. But he prioritizes his own kid, of course. Yeah, on on some rem- uh, remark that is quite understandable and ca- ca- quite the human reaction to yeah. take in, in in the situation. O- only care about the members of your own household, but it it also does paint him as being a bit of an asshole because, like like mentioned, there actually is a young lady who is bleeding to death. At the same time. Followed by the bleeding of Ogunse, Dongi has to go and fetch the car keys from under his body. And then 
something clicks in Gite's head because he sees that there's coming this kind of an awful stench apparently from the Ogunse and something just clicks and now he's done with the character of Dongi and wants him to exit the film and it gets stabbed to his heart. Now is the time when Giu becomes the narrator of the film and he's been taken to the hospital, he's laughing after the brain surgery, some kind of a side effect afterwards, can't stop laughing in the court or uh, anywhere. It, it's almost like that film joke. Kind of. But apparently the mother and Giu are allowed to be at home on parole or something to that effect. There's also these detectives that are, that are following Giu in a very unsuccessful manner. At least they're exposing themselves and Giu and mother don't know where their father is. Which is kind of funny, because, the, you know, the cellar would be the kind of obvious idea to think about. Yeah, then again, nobody actually knows about the cellar. Yeah, nobody can confirm anything either way. Yeah. But Gil then goes up the hill to spy on the house, and there are these new German occupants, so he sees his dad sending the Morse code with the lamps. <laughs> An extremely, extremely long Morse code at that. It is. I, I was actually wondering how many times during the night does the dad send out his message? Because, right. uh, you know, sending out the entire letter, I'm, I'm guessing, takes like forever to do in Morse. So is it... Right. Do, do, does he do it just once per night? Or or is is he at it throughout the entire night? Like, like And what kind of a police force is this exactly? Because they were not able to find any fingerprints or the bloody marks on the cabinet that that is in front of the cellar door. I mean, come on. Seems kind of sloppy police work right here. Well, it's also indicated with the sleeping detective. Father feels remorse for killing Dongi. There is the burial of Moon Guang in the middle of the night at the yard. And Giu makes the plan that I guess it's not really a letter of any kind that was sent to the father because he can't really possibly ever receive any kind of a letter. But Anyway, anyway, it's, uh, I guess, part of this fantasy where Giu in his head is saying to himself that, Father, now I'm going to change everything. I will have a plan. I will have such of a plan that I will buy this house and then get you out of this situation. And, quote, all you need to do is walk up the stairs. Yeah, it's, once again, this is sarcastic take on social mobility or the lack of it here. You could, of course, read this in a kind of a pro-capitalistic way if you kind of for a moment ignore every, everything else or if you put them into different context. If you if you see this as kind of a anti-cockroach approach, if you will, that all you need to do is just walk up the stairs. You, you could say that as somebody conservative saying something like that, but I take it as a sarcastic remark. Uh, yeah, I mean, the director himself may, made the remark that Q is extremely unlikely, if if not in, in, even entirely impossible for him to ever raise enough money to actually buy the house. Frame, framing the whole letter and the whole plan and the whole I'm gonna earn my father's freedom at some point as nothing more than just, just a wish fulfillment from a trapped person. Exactly, because there's also this song in the credits that is a song by Joy Wushik, the character, the guy who plays the role of Gyu. And the original title, as you might, Henrik, as well, no, it was originally titled 564 Years, 
It was supposed to be the time it would take for Gil to save money to buy the apartment with this this pizza box kind of a payment, I suppose. Oh, I I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, and the song is called uh, is it uh, Sochin One Glass? Okay, well that just means that you know he has to come up with a another scam. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you mean like once again. Carrying the rock, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Or, like, come up with some kind of a plan. I I don't know. Maybe he can take, you know, inspiration from from all those Hollywood people and start selling alternative medicine. (laughs) That's a great plan. Yeah. I I, I mean, those folks may make a fortune with with that crap, so... So, alternative medicine companies, please contact us if you want to be our sponsor. Yeah, if 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 you have ten thousand dollar costing gold dildos or 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 send or candles that smell like dick sweat, you know, by by all all means, we, we means we are open to sponsors. No wonder we are doing well with this podcast. <laughs> Great business ideas. So, in the, in the final moments, we we see this fantasy. Flash where Gil would be actually buying the apartment and would be in the lovely arms of his father, but it's interrupted by the the daydream is interrupt interrupted by the next shot where you see the Gil exactly where he started from in the semi basement with the letter or or the or the Morse code message from his father and I believe the last words of the film are take care until then. So long. And of course, as, uh, because the Kims are the underdogs, you as an audience kind of root for them. I don't know, there probably were a bunch of uh, Republicans who were rooting for the Park family. But um, yeah, it's the underdog status. But even if you would climb the social ladder into the Park family apartment level, then uh, it was an interesting notion that was made in some analysis that that that's that's still just one family who would be able to do that and still not everybody can do that and still there will always be well actually this kind of invisible line between the the social hierarchy which will never go away being the inherent flaw of capitalism and it doesn't outright fucking mean that this is about anarchism yeah and that's that's a kind of kind of a one way how when it comes to comes to the director Bong Joon Ho and his films, there, there is the, the kind of a long-running difference between, uh, from movie to movie in, 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 in the way, can the characters of the movie actually solve the real problem that they are facing, the, the class inequality, mm-hmm. in, uh, in, in course of the film? In, in, in The Host and, and Snowpiercer, the heroes who are able to band together uh, amongst their own social class they can they they are able to reach the class solidarity they are able to somehow re, uh, win over the the opposition the antagonist in 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 the host the poor family in the end is able to to kill off the sea monster and and save their save their family member and in snowpiercer the the struggling lower end of the train is able in the end able to sabotage the the ra- train itself and and this mm. way can kind of bring end to the whole system and then there are f- 
films like Parasite, where the heroes in the end, or, or, or the main characters in, are in the end, they are unable to actually find a way to, to actually solve the real problem, the class in, class injustice and, and uh, kind of a cannibalistic nature of capitalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the key difference that I see between Parasite and Snowpiercer. In Snowpiercer, as I in a way indicated, there's this, you kind of get free of capitalism, if you will, when you leave the confines of the packed train cars, and then you get outside. But okay, what then? Uh, the movie, in my opinion, doesn't really give you answer. It just gives you the indication that, you know, in a way you could, you should sometimes look outside of the box, if you will. And Parasite doesn't do that. It just kind of leaves it at the moment when the train explodes. Yeah, and also since you mentioned the kind of the outdoors of, of Snowpiercer, what is interesting also in, in Snowpiercer is also the fact that the main character, the main hero of of, of the film, the, the main leader of of, of the train rebellion, Chris Evans's Curtis, he himself is unable to actually solve the situation. What, what in the mm. end destroys the train is the outside effect from, once again, from Song Kang-ho's Minsu Namgung, who, who is, who is a, South, a South Korean guy who happens to have the dynamite. And that's in, in the end. In instead of instead of the main character, it, it's the dynamite, and it's out of him his realm influence that in the end destroys the train. And and like you mentioned in in the final shots of the film when they showed you the outdoors, the outdoors also they don't look actually that promising. It's still is yeah. is snow covered Iceland. You see the polar bears, which signal to you that some kind of life outside of the train is possible but right what type of life that's kind of a left that's never actually answered yeah i found it interesting also in this in the sense that it kind of indicates that in my view that it was all a lie to begin with that there is actually some kind of a way to get get out of this and and maybe replace capitalism with some something else it's it doesn't have to be communism it doesn't have to be anything that we have right now but it's kind of saying that there's there's a way and we're kind of artificially confining ourselves into the system if you will kind of yeah uh, at the same time it also goes to show you that even though we are kind of artificially tying ourselves into the system it still might be the case that we we ourselves like you and me, we are unable to act, still escape the system and and break the system. Yeah, and that maybe that breaking force has to still come from somewhere else. Like it has to still be that out that that outsider influence that we ours that you and me didn't account for when we kind of laid our plan how to escape. Yeah, the explosion in the train could be also kind of seen as some kind of a new beginning. You know, the capitalism was here, okay, now we're starting from scratch, what now type of situation. Maybe you could like, kind of, get, you could kind of uh, have a mirror of some kind of a 2008-ish kind of financial downfall, which would uh, do some irreparable damage to the social order. 
whereas you have to you are kind of forced to look for some kind of alternative mechanisms yeah which of course in in our real world never actually happened but we we did have the disaster but after the disaster we kind of just just rebooted the age old system we patched some holes that we had in the system and trying to keep the sinking ship afloat if you will Yep. Also, kind of some, something interesting that happened right after the financial crisis at the time was, you know, the emerging new market for kind of alternative currencies like like the Bitcoin. And to quote Wong, the director, in this film, all the characters are very far from violence. They are not gangsters. They are not criminals. But the narrative sort of ends with the disaster in the end. And I think that's the sadness and fear of being human that things can get there even without villains. Kind of interesting. Favorite performance? On my end, this one goes to my old favorite. It's, once again, it's Song Gang Ho, who in in Parasite portrays, the, uh, gives you the role of Kitei. Yeah, Song Gang Ho is definitely on fire in this film. And it's uh, in many scenes, he's given kind of different type of character so he, he's kind of unpredictable but if not Song Kang Ho then Choi Woo Shik he's an extremely flexible actor for example here he can do comedy he can act in horror scenes he's kind of a, this kind of a multi-genre talent and I don't know he, he has a very likable character good stuff good stuff favorite scene mm, that would be the nighttime hiding under the table. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's hard to pick one, but definitely I was thinking about the same scene. Favorite quote? Um, derives also from the from the or derives from the scene before that one Go, goes to the mother of of the Kim household. Hell, if I had all this money, I'd be nice too. Which yeah. most definitely holds true. In in my case, also, yeah. For me, it's the the one at the gymnasium emergency room, which I already stated here. But it's the that starts with about talking about the plan and ends with the whether you kill someone or betray your country, none of it fucking matters. Got it. I'm not saying that I, I in any way kind of agree with that statement, but it's maybe the most polarizing quote of the entire film, and kind of makes some of the audience do. To feel maybe to, or find some kind of a different pathways here that the filmmakers didn't intend to be there exactly or maybe more of a like a that you would see that the film crew is kind of a, giving a supportive voice for different kinds of political directions favorite kill mm, not, not many that many kills in the film i guess my favorite is is the mom kicking Guan down the stairs <laughs> the, the the death here takes like the entire night to come to, but I, I I would say that's the most expressive act of violence in this case because the kick is kind of a so it's it's kind of a she does it so without even paying attention. I guess my favorite kill is killing the movie watching enjoyment of all the kind of politically and overexposed butter reviewers who are complaining <laughs> about this film around the world. Uh, but other than that, I would just join you and uh, the kicking down the stairs. Well, so Henrik, the, the first idea for a random confusion question that I have here is that 
Yeah, I mean, if you if you had the same amount of money, this this I would probably build build this house. I like it quite a lot. What do you think about this house? I don't know. Like it's it's okay. It, it, it's a house. I wasn't wild about it. <laughs> okay. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, central piece of the film, nevertheless, and uh, quite enjoyed it. The the artistic design. I I'm more more you know abandoned gothic asylums type of guy myself. Did you have a long hair back in the day? <laughs> <laughs> I know that you walked around in in these uh, leather jackets. I I, I still do that. No, I I I have my my really e- embarrassing long black. Matrix school shooter leather jacket. Okay, yeah, gothic guy. Hmm, mm, that that explains your sense of humor. <laughs> uh, first shot that comes to mind would be in my end. Be you raising the stairs to to the to the yard of of the park home for the first time when he sees the the, the moment when he sees the sun. For the first time in the film. Usually, when I think about the first shot, it's the evening shot, the full shot of the house when the Kim family is playing around in the in in, in the yard, and the Mrs. Kim is throwing the hammer and it hits the car. What pulls you out? Mm, nothing really in 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 this film. Like it's it, it's over two hours long. And I, I don't know, may, maybe the fact that I checked it out in 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 movie theater theater, it of course you know a- affected the experience. You automatically mm. are more clued into the screen when you are looking at this, uh, looking at the movie in a, in a theater environment. But I, I would say that this is a strong enough movie on its own right that no matter the format where you are seeing this, you are you will stay clued to the screen. Except the Henrik, except the teenage girls in the row behind you who are checking their Facebook feed. Yeah, yeah, but but then again, what the hell are they doing in in Parasite? Throwing popcorn at you. <laughs> like they, they they buy the ticket just so that they can get in get into any screening at all, just so that they can t- throw popcorn at people. <laughs> That's why I usually take the top row, so I have to. The, the least possibility of having any nuisance around me. So, so you, you... you you can be the nuisance that throws popcorn at people. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, same here. There is nothing really to complain about it. Uh, if you would really be an asshole, then you could start to kind of look at the end scenes, maybe when you get to the snowy scenes, when Gyu is climbing atop of the hill to, to, to look at the new family who has entered the house. There's nothing wrong with it, but... At the end, you have a lot of shift in tone or pacing in a way that you have a lot of consecutive scenes that happen in different space and time. And I think if you would really want to go crazy in the editing booth, maybe you could try to speed up the ending a little bit more. But really, this is just extreme nitpicking. But but, but was that something that took you out or is that simply the scissors of no. sacrilege? No, this is actually nothing. But if you want to look for something, then maybe it's in that direction. Otherwise, nothing to complain about. And I'm not even complaining. So what pulled you in? It would be Song Kang Ho, actually. I, I don't know mm. what what is it what it is with the guy, but for some odd reason, 
whenever the film actually shows him, I immediately kind of, with the movie from that point onwards, or, or I, that's the first time when I get clued, or, or that is a moment that automatically clues me in with the film, then the film loses me if it loses me, but, but somehow Song Kang-ho always is kind of one of those magic triggers for me, especially if, if he is in Pong movie in which he is quite often since since he's a regular actor for this director. Yeah, they have a special relationship going on. Always a joy to look at. What pulled me in? Do I really have to get into particulars? I mean, it's so solid from the beginning to end. You can kind of guess my verdict at the end here. Basically, the, the multiple levels of looking at the film, which you get throughout. Like This is a film that is has a lot of replay value. But it's also the kind of movie that you want, don't want, well, you never want any spoilers for any movie, but specifically in the Parasites case, you can't have any spoilers or otherwise you will kind of lose that first experience. But there is always something new to find in these frames. And Scissors of Sacrilege. Mm, I don't know. Uh, I, I was kind of thinking that the story maybe could have been even a bit more darker somehow. I, I, I don't, like, I, I don't have an actual plot point or, or possible plot point to offer to you as an example, but maybe, I, I I don't know, maybe give Parks also some kind of a dark secret that they themselves are hiding, or a, at least something that the film might have done would have been that they would have shown that Parks also are, at some way, they also are frauds. Like the parks are in debt, or Donji is taking credit from other people's work, or something like this. Like, like give give that final element that shows you that that parks also are just keeping up the social props. You would have liked to maybe have more emphasis on the shortcomings of the Park family. Maybe just a, a one shortcoming more. Perhaps mm. because, like I like I remarked uh, way before in in the die another episode which we did where we talked about ex- exactly would it make any sense for for North Korea to invade South Korea and no. I, I, I I stated that the South Korean economy is is kind of a just at least in my opinion it's just a time bomb expecting to explode and it's it's an economic model that is not sustain, sustainable so on that regard there is quite a lot depth in in south korea at this moment already in this moment and there are a lot of kind of kind of high class families that sustain them themselves through debt and by t- taking credit uh, so you know showing that parks also are in debt, or or they they are not entirely handling their financial situation. It wouldn't have been out of the uh, out of realism. It, it would have still been kind of in the realm of a real world, a real South Korea. Mm, mm. I was thinking about also the fact that maybe there could have been more of these problems in the Park family that would be obvious. Kind of to balance it further with the Kim family's problems. Then again, I didn't have a big problem with that because I felt that this was not really a, necessarily about the characters, but about how they are part of this this environment where they do what they do because the the system gives you the kind of the incentive to behave in the way 
ways that they do behave. And maybe in that sense, it's not so much about who is the better one here. But I can see your point. It does make sense. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't t- touch the scissors. No use. Yeah, I, I too am, am hesitant to to make changes in, in, in the film. Like even my point didn't really bother me when I was was watching the watching Parasite, but I I did find myself kind of repeatedly thinking that that could have been something that the film film could have tried, like show you that uh, mm. also the parks can't really thrive in capitalism, and it's just a smoke screen that they are holding up. Yeah, I also kind of like that the film leaves a bit of a mysteries for me. As we discussed the one of the first scenes when Gil comes to the Park family for the first time and uh, Mrs. Park is has lost consciousness or is sleeping on the table, uh, I still don't know what's going on there. So I, it's something that I cannot drop from the film. I enjoy that there is this kind of pieces that you can't always put together. You really know you're watching Parasite when... When you yourself are a literal basement dweller. <laughs> You really know you're watching Parasite when people who have permanently attached political glasses on sit next to you and you just watch the butt hurt and confusion rising. Three adjectives to describe the film. Mine would be dark, moody, and so metaphorical. <laughs> Topical, bongian, artistic. I would assume that you did not turn to your watch during the film. Nope. Yeah. But Henrik, Henrik, would you recommend Parasite? No, watch Joker instead. Right? Like, uh, if, if, if you win Best Foreign Film, you shouldn't be qualified to be even considered for Best Picture. Yeah, I'm leaving the podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I most definitely would, would recommend Parasite. Yeah. I, I wouldn't ever recommend checking out Oscars ever again, because, because that, that's a... <laughs> That's a complete, completely pointless waste waste of your time. But I, I would recommend that you see this film. Yeah, the the Oscars. I don't understand many of these ceremonies because they many of them are still clinging on to kind of a voting system that that seemed to be from the 16th century. Like you have a group of some elite people who are giving the votes. Actually, okay, I don't exactly know how the voting system even works in Oscars, but. Yeah, Because well, that also... that's a complete clusterfuck, actually. And w- one of the reasons why I myself have lost interest in in the Academy Awards altogether. Right, right, right. Altogether, the entire kind of environment around Oscars is of such that I myself don't much care about the Academy Awards anymore. Right, and it's happening in many places in some kind of a social events if if it would be kind of like uh, some sports event hockey world championships or, or it could be the presidential elections inside the united states for sure where you have have this kind of a electoral panel who has mightier votes than the majority of the voters all this kind of the intricacies kind of suck my interest out of this type of events and votings I mean, how exciting would it actually be if we would have some kind of a proper film gala where you could be able to get votes from different countries? You could have like a correct amount of whatever that correct amount would be, okay, but you would have like a more 
balanced representation of votes from all around the world and then you put all the votes together and you see which one actually is the the, the one that world prefers i i, I don't know I, I don't know about that because well, once again even in that scenario it once again it would be film buffs and kind of the elite who would be voting and if it would be you know open vote for everybody so, so that are also the plebeians could could you know pitch in their vote in that case you know it, it would just be you know joker the best picture ever <laughs> oh, i see you really love the lists <laughs> Yeah, of course. Uh, most fucking definitely, I would recommend Parasite. Yeah, go watch it before it disappears from your local cinema. Yep. It will. It will remain to be seen, like how much time it will take when we, when we have like a kind of a miracle film of this type coming from Asia or from other parts of the world and the United States again. But of course, this can have very positive vibes vibes for the whole film industry around the world and has already garnered so much attention for Parasite that I really hope that Bong's next films and other films from Asia and around the world get more opportunities. That's what this film podcast is also all about, giving better stuff for different films from around the world. So I'm extremely happy to see this this, this still coming from Oscars, but very positive uh, development. It is nice to see that there still are people who... In, in the world who are making real movies and, and not just, you know, your easy-to-consume blockbuster cinema. And it, right, it's right. it's nice to see that every so often, even though it doesn't happen that regularly anymore, real cinema also gets a moment to to be played and shown in, in actual movie theaters. Because goddamn, if, if the next Transformers sequels isn't coming out like, like in two years and and Marvel is entering the what phase four or phase five and and DC is pushing out whatever garbage comes out from that direction next. So it's it's nice to every now and then it's just nice to go go to a cinema and, and watch something that's outside of the Hollywood blockbuster system. Right, this is a film that cannot be developed by the by the Hollywood machine. Hopefully the trend trend continues. As long as the trend is not going to turn out so that Hollywood is just going to make a remake of Parasite. Well, Hollywood most definitely, I, I'm guessing at some point it will try to make a remake of Parasite. Or it tries somehow to make film similar to pra- Parasite. Because mm. something that I have noticed is that the 2019 was kind of the year of of class divide picture and it yeah. it, it, it was the year well, mostly the discourse ended up revolving around parasite and joker the, the two big oscar nominees of of, of of the year but altogether i i sen- got the sense that 2019 was the year when every, when basically the hollywood system was trying to once again pay attention to the now popular global themes or our now popular uh, well at least in in US popular social themes so now the class divide and the economic divide was was kind of the go to theme of of movies in in Hollywood by accident 
also the director Bong also saw the trailer for the film Us from year 2019 and he was shocked about the similarities between Us and Parasite because in Us you have also this kind of a divide between two kind of a mirror images of themselves battling it out. It's kind of a really disturbing commentary if, if you see it like that, but uh, interesting watch. It is. My, my, I too liked Us quite a lot when I saw it. I maybe didn't get all the way with the hype train. I got mm. the feeling that just like with Get Out, it was just 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 a bit, just a tiny bit overhyped as 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 a film. But I still would say that it definitely was a, a good solid piece of horror cinema that had something more to say, and it mm. was really competent filmmaking. Like it's it's not a bad film in any merit. Exactly, and once again, it's one of those. Quite interesting horror films coming from Plumhouse's direction. Yeah, Plumhouse kind kind of have. I, I I've been noticing that Plumhouse has, has this system how it makes films that it 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 pushes out like five to ten these these cheap low budget at times extremely trashy horror films and they they just kind of shoot it all over the play all over the wall and see what sticks. And then there are a couple of year, films per year where they really push up the budget and really try to make like this. This is the this is one of the big films that we released this year. It it happened with with the 2018 Halloween. It happened with with us. And I I don't know what's going to be the 2020s lineup from from Blumhouse. Halloween but, Kills, Henrik. <laughs> Halloween Kills. Yeah, that's coming mm. out. But yeah, uh, it, uh, altogether, I I found when it comes to kind of a when it comes to the movie theater movie theater film production houses, I I do get feel that that Plumhouse is one of the more interesting that we have these days. Yeah, it is, and I was just laughing at Halloween Kills because uh, I think the inevitable choice, at least, I I would. Like to look at it, <laughs> so that would be a return to Haddonfield, and it's, uh, it's what I'm hearing from it. It's starting to sound like a really kind of an interesting project, which is pretty much down to the fact that it's doing a lot of new things and bringing old characters back on board. But that's the stuff for some other episode. Yeah, it it can be a flaming dumpster fire, but we can yeah. on, only judge it when it comes out. Yeah. Oh, was that Parasite, Henrik? I guess that was Parasite. What is the next social suicide that we are going to commit? Would it be Casino Royale? I guess we are continuing with the Bond theme. It's been running for quite a while. We are starting to see light at the end of the end of the tunnel. <laughs> yeah, fuck it, finally. <laughs> yeah, Casino Royale, though, at least we are going to look at some good Bond film this time after the, the, the yeah yeah fo- following not so good Bond fi- of Bond film as yeah. yeah yeah some some something that just happened in two thousand two but yeah introduction of Daniel Craig to the role of James Bond can't wait to look at this marvelous adventure after which of course a month from that roughly Spectre pretty quickly after that and then we are going to the theaters to see No Time to Die. 
And then, of course, we are going to have a little bit of a look at the franchise as a whole. And uh, then we finally end it right there. But you can find us on the socialistic media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram and Twitter. That's about it for tonight's social commentaries. So, kamsamnita! Thank you and uh, see you next week. Until then! Haluaisitko sä jatkaa sitä portapointista vai? Eipä oikeastaan, oliko sulla jotain sitten? Ei ollut mitään.